0: This is Bishop Tom Daly from the Diocese of Spokane in Eastern Washington. Joining me on the Bishop of Vickers show is Father Darren Connell, Vicar General and Rector of Our Lady of Lord's Cathedral, Father Pat Kirst, the pastor of St. Thomas More and St. Patrick's Parish, and also the Vicar for Priests, and Father Brian Mead, the pastor of St. Augustine's and the Vicar of Finance. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal earlier in the month of February, and one of the comments made by Peggy Noonan in her article entitled The Parkland Massacre and the air we breathe. She said, what's gone wrong with our culture that produces such atrocities? It's a very long list. Peggy Noon attempted to to capture uh, the division we have in our nation, a division that's not just in culture or society or in communities, but sadly even in our own church. The Lenten season is about renewal and conversion, and and maybe it gives us a way to discuss these topics. Uh, We've We've heard so much that is going on, people questioning, why is it that our culture, our society, our schools have become more violent? And maybe it's about the dignity of the human person, so central in our Catholic Christian faith and our rich traditions and teaching. Maybe some of the comments of the vicars might help us to grasp our response as Catholic Christians to the reality without losing hope.
1: Well, I was uh, a... just the other day, I was looking through the religion curriculum for the diocese, in particular, I was reviewing the religion curriculum for our seventh and eighth graders at uh, Cataldo Catholic School, and um, was pleased to see that uh, one of the benchmarks for our, our religion curriculum is uh, an understanding, even at the junior high level, of the natural law, uh, and I think that one of the reasons that we see a division, a growing division in in, in our culture today, in, in society, and even in some ways in the church, is uh, uh, moving away from the natural law, which is simply an, an unchanging, uh, unchanging moral principles regarded as a basis for all human conduct. So, unchanging moral principles that we look to to help us guide our human conduct. And I, I think there's a, there's a debate now, an open debate about that in our in our culture today. Is there such a thing as unchanging moral principles? And we, as Christians who believe in a, a Judeo-Christian God, would say absolutely yes. But as as faith in a, a Judeo-Christian God begins to erode, and we have more nuns, and uh, uh, not n u n s, like you, like your religious, but uh, no n o n e s, people who don't identify with uh, any religious faith. The more we have that, people then have to try to substitute some some guide uh, for 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 moral conduct. And unfortunately, what it seems to be is that. It's just consensus. Whatever whatever I can get the most people to accept and agree with, or the uh, loudest people, or the loudest people, uh, it's ironic that you would say that. <laughs> um, that seems to be the, the, the consensus, then seems to be the guiding
0: uh,
1: force for moral decisions,
0: which is dangerous. What about the people who may not profess any religious belief that you're speaking about? There seems to be, even there was discussion in nominations for justices for the Supreme Court when reference would be made to natural law, and then politicians, senators, uh, newspaper reporters would say, well, what is this natural law? Why why should anyone who isn't religious guide that? And yet we know in our culture and in societies, the natural law has guided all people, regardless of their religious affiliation. Is this part of the outcome? Of the nuns, the growing people who just say religion is separate, it doesn't impact.
2: Could I take a, a side road from natural law for a moment? As long as we come back to, it? to uh,
1: it, is this a recipe we, for you just, eggs? We just got hey, on that that's road. Right. Okay, we just left the rest uh, stop. Uh, yeah, stop again.
2: Another rest stop. The um. Well, the, the, we began with asking the question of well, why the violence and um, the toward that we find. Uh, in shootings in Florida, in different, there's examples, uh, plenty of examples for us. You know, and it's interesting, the scriptures right after the fall of Adam and Eve, the very next thing we have is um, the first murder, fratricide, Cain killing Abel. And um, John Paul II in Evangelium Vitae goes into uh, kind of a very extended reflection upon that. Certainly, initially, or, uh, there's a personal responsibility Cain has for that for that fault. But as he speaks further about it, he says, well, but also society and the politics of the day needs to take some responsibility for how we see human life and how we treat it. And one of the things is, that, I mean, when you look at how we, uh, in our society today, how we speak of uh, humanity or, or what we allow the human person, Do we truly see it as sacred, or is it just a thing, a commodity that we can do to what we want? I mean, by that, uh, we live in a society today where uh, we almost treat the human body as silly putty. And as far as, well, someone can brand their body, they can tattoo their body, they can have, uh, you know, different uh, plastic surgery done, or even now, you know, we can talk about transitioning and. A man can turn into a woman, and a woman into a man.
1: There's universities in the state who are are talking about composting our our bodies after death, uh, along with the coffee grounds and the rotting banana
2: peels. So we begin to see it as nothing more than a thing or matter as opposed to something sacred. And part of that is as soon as we take God out of the conversation, that's why it goes back to, well, when we talk about nuns, meaning those, I guess, who don't believe in God or don't believe in anything, well, as soon as you uh, there's no sense or place for God, a uh, man really has no sense left to him because it's only in that relationship to God that we are seen as sacred, and that we have uh, our rights, our sacred rights as well. Uh, so I think the question is, you know, is really a societal question of. Uh, that yes individuals first of all have to take their culpable for whatever evils or violence uh, they commit against another but aren't we nurturing well if you can call it nurturing aren't we somehow promoting um, promoting thank you promoting in our society where we look upon a human being seeing how they can be changed to anything or again anything can be done to them is it such a far leap that an individual would say well Um, this is what, you know, this person doesn't mean, it's just matter, it's just a thing, and therefore it leads to what could be an extreme violence.
1: Well, and and we are the ones who, uh, in that scenario, who get to decide what the moral principles are regarding the human person and the human body. And again, when that that happens, when we do that, rather than uh, relying on God or some unchanging moral principles, That's what leads to to all that that kind of uh, behavior. And ultimately it is, and we've mentioned this in previous radio shows, it is the deadliest of the seven deadly sins, which is pride, which is no one's going to tell me what's right or wrong. I get to decide for myself, and if I get enough people uh, to agree with me, we can make a law.
2: Well, and John Paul goes into that as well. I mean, if you look at um, one can decide to have an abortion, uh, infanticide, uh, euthanasia in certain cases as well you look at all of those and if i uh, have the right to decide depending on who i am uh, about this life of another well doesn't that get into the society's uh, societal mentality of well i have a right to choose whether this other lives because in at one level our
3: society and culture is already
0: promoting that well, Father Chris, what you were—well,
3: I was just thinking. You know, we were speak in terms of generalizations, and perhaps necessarily so, society this, society that. But we all know that that uh, you know there are probably more exceptions to the rule than there are in the rule. And hopefully, in our in our Catholic world, as some of these things we're discussing about some relativism and, and lack of respect for the dignity of persons, that that's not the platform of of the Catholics. Certainly, there are exceptions to that as well within our Catholic world, but I think that's really one of the very hopeful things for us as church is that we have a different message. We have a different vision, and we talk about the reality of, of divisiveness within a nation, within a world, uh, and then on, even on smaller scopes. And as Father Me, you mentioned earlier, that's been the case since the beginning, of since Cain and Abel. It, we are perhaps more aware of its intensity of this divisive divisiveness now, perhaps... Uh, the role of all the different media available now, passing on uh, whatever opinions and presenting them as fact, and so forth, and how that shapes people's attitudes, and and uh, we have the best uh, medium of all, as we have the gospel of Jesus Christ, that continually affirms the, the dignity of, of each one of us, and and how that should shape how that how we act then, and how we speak about other people, and 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 perhaps one of the really Sad things in recent times is is perhaps the voice of our Catholic Church has been diminished as and not really allowed at the table and in the conversation uh, outside of our own our own uh, church, uh, which of course you know we get to speak that truth all the time in our church. My sense is and this was probably from before I was born that used to have quite an impact on society in general in not only our nation but nations around the world that much more Catholic nations in our own that the church had a strong voice and, and that shaped how people treated one another and if there was division fine people have different opinions but there was always civility remembering that we always have to treat one another with charity and with kindness and compassion and perhaps that's been diminished somewhat And that
0: it, that was interesting you bring that up uh, father chris because in a conversation i had with one of the elected officials for the state of washington I asked what was the difference uh, that she noted in her time serving, And she basically said it was the absence now of any type of uh, conversation that has the aspect of being civil and respectful, uh, the notion of being, you know disagreeing but not being disagreeable. Uh, as we spoke about at the beginning, the article uh, by Peggy, Peggy Noonan in The Wall Street Journal, she said, what has happened the past 40 years or so to produce a society so ill at ease with itself, so prone to violence? And it's about some of the things we're saying. She mentions, of course, we've been swept away, swept away by the social and the technology and the cultural revolution, the family, the attack on the family life, um, so many children born out of wedlock, fatherless sons, fatherless daughters, children with no one to love them, the Internet flourishes, pornography, drugs, legal and illegal, violent video games. The nameless people eliminated and spotted all over the screen. Abortion, endless talk about the casual right to, to end anybody's life. The old longing, she writes, for integration gave way to a culture of accusation. You're a uh, You don't like women. You're guilty of privilege defined by your color and class. We don't let your sort speak here. So much change, so much of it ungentle. Throughout, was anyone looking to children and what they need? I think the role of the church, the dignity of life, of the unborn, the aged, the infirm, the poor, the immigrant has been a strong platform for the church. And yet, as you're mentioning, the freedom of of religious expression has been reduced to the freedom of worship. And there is a difference. And a lot of that happened uh, in the last few years. Now suddenly the church is not able to speak or, as you said, a place at the table. How do we in our listening audience who are trying to live our faith address this so that we can remain courageous and yet compassionate, uh, have fortitude and yet be charitable? We're going to take a break, and when we get back, we're looking uh, for some guidance and insight uh, from the vicars to work with our lay people that we're called to serve. back from our break, and at the intermission, we were talking about the article that Peggy Noonan wrote for the Wall Street Journal. There's another article I recommend to our listening audience is by Archbishop Chaput from the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. It's in the Catholic World Report online, things to come, faith, state, and society in a new world. In his article, he writes, what we do as individual believers matters because our personal witness shapes others, and each of us as a child of God is forever. And what we do as communities of Christian friendship matters just as powerfully because friendship shapes cultures and creates the future. We begin the second half of our show. How do we as a church, not just in eastern Washington, the Diocese of Spokane, but our wider listening audience and throughout our nation, how do we create that community in light of the atrocities that we've experienced, the division we spoke of in culture? We're, as a church, in its... uh, tremendous heritage and teaching and scripture and tradition. How do we provide and guide our people not to be burdened by this, uh, uh, rather than to, to, to see it as an opportunity to give a message of hope and to bring about that conversion that is very much a part of our Catholic Christian faith. I'm reminded of, uh, something
1: that, uh, Billy Graham, uh, said, and it's, it's timely to mention him given his recent passing, but, um, he was famous for preaching uh, quite simply that it is Jesus Christ who is the answer to people's deepest longings, all of people's deepest problems and and, and needs. Their longings, as he said, uh, can be answered and found in Jesus Christ. And and I think one of the reasons that he's been celebrated so greatly over the last uh, you know few weeks uh, is that his uh, the power of his personal witness to that. His power, his personal witness to his own conversion and relationship with uh, Jesus Christ and the sense of peace that kind of emanated from him as he found uh, evidently the answers to his own personal longings, his deepest personal longings in the person of Jesus Christ. As Catholics, when we talk about uh, Christ and the body of Christ, we, of course, uh, think about uh, the church. Uh, And, you know, frankly, the church, the body of Christ, is an expert in things like beauty and truth and intimacy and life and reason and the human person fully, fully alive. Another way, of, I guess, of, of adding to and developing what, what Billy
3: Graham said. Well, I think that's so key in terms of that individual witness. And it's so easy just to sit back and say, well, what can little old me do? What impact can I have? I can't change the world. Uh, but again, we can think in terms of, well, I can't change the world. I can have some impact on my little corner of the world. My family and friends the people i associate with and the witness i give to jesus christ and of course recognizing that what we are giving testimony to is much bigger than ourselves and our own ideas our own thoughts but we're giving witness to jesus christ uh, that's a power that is is infinite and and uh, has already won the victory and will win the victory in its fullness and so and think of how much we can do together uh, the, the strength in numbers as, as church and, and so i think there's wonderful opportunity there. Uh, in in a, a world in need of healing, in need of integration, and in, in need of that true sense of meaning of our existence, because what other people might place there as what, what gives meaning to my life will ultimately come up empty. You know, I can't help but think of um Sister Marcellita uh,
2: and as we gather here, I remember Sister Marcelita
0: was this at Saint my, Sacred Heart? Sacred
2: Heart Grade School reading in- to us one day uh a short story by Nathaniel Hawthorne, Rappaccini's Daughter, which I'm sure oh, some I love of Rappaccini. our second grade audience
1: then? Rappaccini with little Bolognese, Rappaccini's daughter it. at Pronzo. Oh, love it.
2: Now, the thing in the story though is that uh, Rappaccini is a scientist who raises his daughter among these beautiful tropical plants, but they're all poisonous. And uh, Hawthorne one of the characters makes a statement at this time that Rappaccini, who's a scientist, is willing to sacrifice any part of humanity to simply make one more scientific discovery. And in a way, I think we uh, live in that Rappaccini garden. We live in that poisonous garden where we seem to live in a time where... That's how you describe Spokane? Peppuccini. Where science, we're (laughs) willing to sacrifice humanity for just some... Form of progress, in mm. science, or the way we live. So I leave that off and uh, thank Sister Marcelita for reading mm. that story to us in the sixth grade. Now, is that another also side but, road? No. <laughs> no, back to the main road. <laughs> what we as Catholics can do, I think, one of the things, one of the positive things is uh, we're talking about the importance of the human person. And one of the things that we do, something that we have as Catholics, is the celebration of the Mass. And in that celebration of the Mass, we believe the bread and wine becomes the body and blood of Christ, which cannot help but lead us to reflect God so loved us that he became one with us in this world. Um, He became body and blood. And Christ becoming body and blood and that we receive in the Mass cannot help but make us recognize that all flesh, all every human being is sacred and carries that imprint of Christ. And therefore, rather than just seeing the human body as matter or something that can be tinkered with, uh, rather it is something sacred. And we as Catholics uh, have that insight because every day or every Sunday as we celebrate the Mass, we cannot help but reflect upon the flesh and blood of our Lord that we receive, and therefore
0: all flesh and blood in this world is sacred. Well, if if we as Catholic Christians, the importance of mass, which sadly, we know that fewer Catholics uh, participate in the Eucharistic celebration of the parishes on a weekly basis than, let's say, 50 years ago, but nonetheless, the Catholic in the pew, who is strengthened in word and sacrament, has the opportunity, as uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict wrote in his uh, pastoral letter, uh, or encyclical, God is Love, the direct duty to work for a just ordering of society is proper to the lay faithful. And so one of the ways that we're hoping that our laity takes the lead in a call to holiness, not just in the church, because again, as Father Chris brought up, the challenge we face is that we, see freedom of religion to be that we are part of the discussion, not just in the public square, but in the marketplace and in our communities. And we have a role and an obligation to help bring a sense of unity and integration and wholeness to our society that, again, is so often fractured. For the parents who are raising children, uh, it is not easy. They're, and back to that article um, uh, by Peggy Noonan, she talked about how young people Um, a teenager observes what they hear in America. He or she sees a headline online, passes the television in the airport, hears the quick story and thinks, if the baby we don't let live is unimportant, then I guess I am unimportant too, and you're unimportant. How do we deal with that? How do we bring back that sense that we began the show about the dignity of the person, but you as all pastors uh, in parishes, uh, with your people each day, how are we to assist them as the church, to be a source of support, to allow our people to again be a saint? Well, I think somehow to get them to talk to one another again. You know, one of the
2: things I hear from mothers who are driving their children to school and their children's friends to school, all those friends and children are sitting in the car texting. Who knows? They might even be texting to one another, (laughs) but they're not looking into the Mm -hmm. eyes of the other. They're not conversing with that other. And so we have this uh, depersonalizing communication going on. And I think that happens at every level. So I think there just has to be a true attentiveness in the home, in the school, in the parish, in the community of wait. Now, what are the ways that we are making or leading each other to really, uh, Share and uh, converse with one another face to
3: face, eye to eye, and, e- and even on on topics that are important to our life of faith. I know in many parishes, uh, our own included, in our sacramental preparation programs, we kind of pass that on to the parents to really make that happen and give some guidance from the from the parish minister uh, point of view. But it's really an invitation for parents to sit down, and talk about matters of. God and faith and sacraments with their children, and I suspect that uh, given the nature of how this was done 15, 20, 30 years ago, this could very well be the first time these people have talked about that, and they have to do with their children. They might have gone through a a pedagogy of, of sacramental preparation that really didn't invite a lot of discussion about these things with anybody else, and so... I think we foster that well in parishes by including parents in the preparation of their children for sacraments.
1: Well, now, just to pick up a little on what Father Me was saying about technology, I, I uh, I'm always amazed at um, what people say uh, or write in an email, particularly regarding a situation of conflict that they would never say face to face if they were sitting across the table from you. People write things in emails, and again, especially in situations of conflict, um, that are that are caustic and can be caustic and and uh, accusatory and derogatory and, uh, again, things that they would never say uh, sitting across from the, the other human being looking them in, in the eye. And so one of my, I haven't always done this, but one of my, I guess, personal uh, uh, admonitions is, is to try to avoid that kind of communication in any electronic
0: form. Well, Maybe in the, the bishops and the revising of... Um... Except but, when I'm writing Father Me. Yes. <laughs> and you're texting me right now, even though right. I'm speaking. In um, <laughs> the, the bishop's document, In Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship, there was, I think, a, uh, a guiding principle for our, our lay people. Um, it, these words, A different kind of political engagement, one shaped by the moral convictions of well-formed consciences and focused on the dignity of every human being, the pursuit of the common good, and the protection of the weak and the vulnerable. That's just not for the, the priests and, and the bishops, but it's for the lay faithful in the midst of the political and social turmoil that our church can offer a better way, a way to bring uh, hopefully that unity, with, but it's going to require the courage because in the early church, and, and Father Me would know this having lived in the Roman Empire, um, <laughs> <laughs> that the church took care of the orphans and widows. They founded hospitals and schools. They cared for the poor. They didn't work on Sundays. They loved their enemies. And maybe that's what we're trying to do and reflect on the best of that, without retreating. So a topic for another radio show might be this tendency that some people have to retreat back and almost set up a community separate because we've given up in engaging in in the culture.
2: You know, very quickly, Bishop. I started. I mentioned that Evangelium Vitae, which should I should have translated that. It means the Gospel of Life. So what John Paul was talking about was. That we have to have a gospel of life and he concludes it with the blessed mother and he first of all he promulgated the encyclical on march 25th the feast of the annunciation when mary uh received word from the angel and said yes to the lord uh as the blessed mother says yes to life and shows us the way that that we are to receive life that divine life but
0: also uh to promote life in our world We come to the end of this half hour. I know it's for some are in the listening audience, it may be a purgatory experience, but it's also a source of joy and hope. We pray that Our Lady of Lords will continue to intercede in the life of our local church, and please be assured of all of our prayers. God bless.